Every bad decision. Every mistake. Every compromise. All my best moments. My successes. My victories. The pain I've suffered. And the pain I've caused. These are all part of my story. But what if it all could be? Rewritten. Good morning, sleep in service. Always good to see you guys. Glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here. If you've ever met another human being, and I hope at some level you have, um, but you're probably familiar with the following investigative formula when it comes to getting to know somebody. You've probably asked three questions. What's your name? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? Right? It seems like somewhat predictable, and we all use it at different times. What's your name? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? If I was to answer that question, I'd say my name is Grant. I'm from actually Germany via Canada, then transplanted to Washington State. And for a living, I tell stories about Jesus. Basically, that's me in a nutshell. And some of you are kind of got this clueless look on your face right now. And I'm just going to say to you, um, don't ever complain that you're lonely if you're not willing to at least try out the three questions. Because at some point, all of us have to have this interaction between human beings. I had an interaction this past week. I'm standing in line at a coffee shop, turn to the guy behind me, and I say, hey, I'll, I'll buy you a coffee if you answer a question. I've never been turned down in Whatcom County yet, which means, <laughs> and I'm not sure if that's a testimony to the coffee addiction or the caffeine addiction here in Whatcom County or what the deal is, but he kind of looked at me and said, sure. So my question was, what's your story? And what did he tell me? He told me his name, where he's from. And what he did for a living. That's just kind of the way that it works. Now, it's programmed into us, but we all know something. There's so much more to a person than a name, a place, and a profession. Before I was a teaching pastor, I was a youth pastor. I used to hang out with high school and middle school students. Some of the best years of my life were taking students to inner city Los Angeles. We would go, sometimes spend a week in Mexico, and then we'd come up to L.A. for a week. And we'd spend some time doing ministry on Skid Row. And because we were a part of something called the Center for Student Missions, we normally started the trips off exactly the same way. We'd give all the students a couple of bucks and say, we want you to go out and we want you to meet somebody, introduce yourself to them, probably using the formula, what's your name, that whole thing, and then take them out for breakfast and just listen to their story. Now, there's only a couple of places on Skid Row in Los Angeles where you can actually buy breakfast for a couple of bucks. So I always knew where the students were going to end up. In fact, it was kind of funny because you take this group of students from Washington, you transplant them into inner city L.A., they kind of stand out, right? <laughs> they look a little different and they've got the street smarts of a possum, right? So they're just kind of, they just kind of, and it was funny because sometimes our kids would walk out and the local population would always know where the CSM kids were. So our students would walk out on this, looking for this treasure hunt of humanity. Who am I going to take for breakfast? There'd be somebody standing on the street corner going like, hey, you looking for somebody to go for breakfast with you? Yes, we are. And off they go to the restaurant. One morning, I beat everybody to the restaurant, and there's a guy sitting outside of this little place. And I kind of looked at him. He kind of looked at me. You know, I stand out. He blends in. We make eye contact with each other. Then he kind of like does this thing with his head, like, I'm going in here. So I followed. He ordered. I paid. And then we went back outside. It was part of the drill. And I asked him three questions. What's your name? Roy. Where are you from? Florida, what do you do for a living? <laughs> In the context, that's just a dumb question, okay? <laughs> like, I just, you know, it's just kind of no one, and he looked at me like, that's not a very smart question. But in answer to my question, he said, I used to work for NASA. 
And I kind of did what you guys did. I'm kind of like, yeah, whatever. Right? And he's like, you don't believe me? Well, you know, kind of shrugged my shoulders. He starts digging in his bag, and he pulls out a NASA ID badge with his face on it. Different face than the one that was looking at me, but still the same guy. And then out came the story. He drank away his family. He drank away his job. He drank away his home. He drank away his job. He drank away everything. And then there he was, sitting in L.A., and it was just layer upon layer of human story. And so I listened to him for a little while, and then he listened to me share about Jesus. He was very polite about that. And then he shook my hand and moved on down the street. We all have a story, don't we? Layers upon layers of our story that we don't disclose to just anybody, and it goes so much more than just a name and a place and a profession. We all have chapters in our lives, and I'm positive if given the opportunity for a rewrite, we would gladly hand over the pen just so that it didn't have to be stuck in our memory. Every one of us at some level has our story connected to the story of Jesus, even people in the room who may disavow their knowledge of him and, and, and completely just deny his existence, I'm just going to tell you something, whether you like it or not, your story is connected to Jesus. Because while you may not be pursuing him right now, boy is he pursuing you. Saul of Tarsus was not connected to God at all. When we first open our Bibles and we meet this guy named Saul in the Bible, he would have answered our questions this way. If you asked him, what's your name? He would have said, Saul, where are you from? city called Tarsus. What do you do for a living? I'm a religious hitman. Okay, Saul was a murderer of Christians, very religious, and he did everything under the banner of religion, but his religion lived itself out in the systematic destruction of a group of people that were following this troublesome, itinerant Jewish rabbi by the name of Jesus. Saul goes after Jesus through his followers. Jesus just goes after Saul. Saul's on his way to kill more Christians in a city called Damascus that still exists today. And he comes face to face with Jesus after Jesus had died, after he'd been crucified, after he'd been placed in a tomb, after he rose from the dead again, he comes face to face with this man by the name of Saul. And I'll summarize the story this way. Jesus knocks him on his backside, hosts an intervention, strikes him blind, and then reconnects him with the very people he was trying to kill. You should read the story in the book of Acts. It's phenomenal. Jesus rewrites his story. Before Jesus, Saul from Tar Tarsus, religious hitman. After Jesus, he would answer the questions this way. My name is Paul. Changed his name. I'm from Rome. The book of Romans tells us why his citizenship was different. And if you asked him what he did for a living, he would tell you, I'm a missionary. <laughs> the most prolific missionary in human history. And that's kind of the pattern throughout Scripture over and over again. The story of Jesus rewrites other people's stories. That's why I put it in your outline there. The story of Jesus is rewriting the story of, and you can put your name in there if that's what's going on in your life right now. All through this series, we've introduced you to people. We saw how Jesus rewrote the story of Rob, our CTK downtown pastor, transformed him from a drug addict into a pastor. We've introduced you to Miles, a man who was going one direction and then Jesus got involved in his life and completely changed the trajectory of his life. You can, you can stick my name in there. You can put your own name in there. But for each one of us, that's what's going on today. At the end of one of my favorite books of the Bible, Paul is sharing his story. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So this is a really big deal. This is Paul in a nutshell. This is his transformation and the rewriting of his story in a nutshell. 
passed on this to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to the twelve, or that He appeared to Peter, some of your Bibles will say Cephas, and then to the twelve. And after that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. And last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now He gets personal. For I'm the least of the apostles and don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. That's the story of Jesus and Paul, the story of a gracious rewrite to a person who didn't deserve it. But it's also the story of Jesus and Grant and Jesus and everybody else in the room. I can summarize these verses of Paul and make them unbelievably personal. You see, Christ died not only for Paul's sins, he died for my sin. Even when I wouldn't acknowledge him, when I ignored him, when I was telling Jesus, mind your own business and leave me alone. I want to write my own script. I want to write my own story. Even when I was pushing him away, the Bible says Christ died for my sin. When I was actively sinning, Christ died for me. It was his sacrifice for my sin. It doesn't seem equitable, does it? His sacrifice, him giving himself on a cross so that I could be set free. His sacrifice for my sin. Paul goes on and says that he was buried, that Jesus died on a cross, that he was executed in an unbelievably brutal fashion. And so many people thought that was the end of the story. He's dead. They finally killed the itinerant rabbi that was causing so much trouble in that area by preaching a gospel of love and hope and faithfulness. He's finally dead in this moment, completely dead. They stick a sword in him to prove that he's dead. And in that moment, it was his death for my life. Died for me, died for you. But the Bible says that the story didn't end there. That's why we celebrate Easter. No, he's raised again on the third day. He comes back to life. And in that moment, the entire story of death is completely rewritten for the rest of human history because the Son of God, who's dead, suddenly starts breathing again. That's kind of a big deal. Suddenly he's back alive and with one breath. It's his victory for my loss. The Bible says he triumphs over death once and for all. In that moment, the death sentence of my sin was removed, and I had an opportunity to live life new. I had an opportunity to have all of my days, no matter what I'd done in my past, completely and totally rewritten. And each of these little phrases is surrounded with this beautiful little phrase, according to the scriptures. Last week, we just translated that a different way with three words. It is written. And Paul goes off on a list of all the people who saw Jesus alive. It says he appeared to Cephas, also known as Peter, the guy who denied him. And yet Jesus had room and grace to bring him back into the family. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James. Can you imagine that reunion? James is the brother of Jesus. If you have a brother, I I, I would probably guarantee or hazard a guess That because you know your brother the way you do, you don't think he's God. (laughs) He might think he's God. (laughs) 
but you don't think he's God. And suddenly James, face to face with Jesus, it's like, I have been with you my entire life. And now I know one thing to be true. You talked a big game and now you have backed it up. Because I saw you dead and now you're breathing again. And all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. Abnormally born. In that moment, it was his revelation. The revelation of Jesus as he shares himself with all of these people for the sake of my adoption. He's revealing himself to people. I'm alive and here's the plan. My plan, through my sacrifice, is to adopt you back into the kingdom of God. I'm going to bring you into the family. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. What sin deserves is death. Instead, I put that on me, and now I'm going to set you free. Jesus is revealing himself. And then Paul says this. These are heartbreaking, horrifying, joyful verses. For I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Paul says this, I don't deserve to be a part of the inner circle. I don't deserve to be one of the disciples. He uses the words here, disciples, apostles. Disciples were those people who followed Jesus personally. Apostles are those who were sent out on a mission representing Jesus Paul says, I don't belong to be in the inner circle. I tried to kill those guys. That's why they were so afraid of me. I tried to knock them off. I tried to kill God's family, and now they're my spiritual family. I should be dead, but God in His love gives me what I don't deserve. He gives me grace and mercy and forgiveness. He says, because of what God did, I am what I am. To my brothers and sisters in the room that are followers of Jesus, don't ever waste a breath bragging about what you've done for God. But waste, or instead, invest in every single breath that allows you to brag about what God did for you. Just stick there. It will go well for you. God has grace for everyone. I mean, think about who's writing this. He's a serial killer. And God has grace for him. So many of us try to disqualify ourselves. We say, I've got this little pile of brokenness, and it's so different than everybody else. I mean, everybody else has dirt, but my dirt's dirtier than their dirt. Somehow I'm outside of the circle. And Paul says, no, if there's room in God's circle for me, there's room in God's circle for you. I don't care what you've done. Paul's story. In this moment, it's his grace for my past, my present, and my future. Everything I've done in the past, everything I'm doing right now, and even the things that I'll do in front of me, God's grace is sufficient to cover. That's our story. That's just our story. And the reality is I don't deserve what God's rewriting in my life, but I am so thankful that He graciously was willing to take the pen that I struggled to surrender and began to write new chapters. Here's a truth I'm learning from my friend Paul. My entire story pivots on the fulcrum of God's story. I mean, sometimes people will, will illustrate God in the shape of a triangle, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Trinity. Okay? This is a shock for some of you. You actually think it's a quartet. Okay? God doesn't need your help. If you think you're the junior Holy Spirit, resign your position today because you're way out of your league, okay? 
It's way over your pay grade, all right? So triangle, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they are all equal and coexistent. One and three, three and one. If you think you can explain it, then you don't have much of a God because it's a complete mystery in Scripture how it works. I don't know how it works. You don't know how it works. It's, it's God. If you can explain your God, he's not much of a God, right? So there's this mysterious part, and at the bottom is this unbelievable foundation. It's immovable. That's why the pyramids in Egypt have been there for so long. They've got a wide base. God is immovable. God's story doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever in perfect relationship. And yet on the top of that peak is my story, and it pivots. It's in direct relationship. With Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm not separated. And it's the balance point that brings, that brings equilibrium into my life. And as I balance and I pivot, the goal of my life is to allow the Holy Spirit of God to breathe in a certain direction. And like a weather vane, the direction of my life just begins to pivot. And it's always moving in the direction of a rewritten life. And God wants to write that story on all of us. Because here's what I know about Christ the King. So many of us are here today, and if we got past the platitudes, you know, kind of dug in underneath of it, and we got past a name and a place and a profession, if we dug deep into your past and all the stuff that you may be carrying with you, most of us would ask, the, we'd answer the questions differently. What's your name? Failure. Where are you from? A town called Broken. What do you do for a living? I run. There's a lot of heads nodding right now. That's good. I am not alone. Jesus wants to transform that script. I used to answer the questions that way. I'm a failure from a town called Broken. If you want to know what I do for a living, I run. But That's not the way I write my story now. My name is Grant, but I would love it if you'd learn to pronounce it correctly. My name is pronounced most precious adopted child of the most high God. Where am I from? I'm from a place called Grace, where sinners get what they don't deserve. And what do I do for a living? I follow the one who saved me. That's what I do. I'm like blind Bartimaeus. I got what I wanted. I wanted healing for my soul. I wanted my spiritual eyes to be open. And it just seemed to make logical sense. When God gave me the option to go anywhere I wanted to after he saved my life, that I should probably go in the direction that he was going. Years ago, God used the lyrics of a song to rewrite my heart. God, it must have broke your heart to send your son away. Knowing all the time the final price he'd have to pay, he left his home in glory and became a common man. And because he did, I am what I am. I'm a child of the king who made everything. I'm a son of the one who makes my heart to sing songs of joy, songs of praise. I'll sing them all I can to the one who came and made me what I am. See, now I am a man, I have two babies of my own, and I wonder, could I send those babies off and all alone to help someone somewhere, somehow, to set a captive free? Could I do the same for him who did the same for me? Because I'm a child of the king who made everything. I'm a son of the one who makes my heart to sing songs of joy, songs of praise. I'll sing them all I can. 
to the one who came. Made me what I am. I'm not someone who has achieved perfection. Don't believe me. Ask my wife and kids. But every day, God is perfecting a rewrite in my heart and my soul as I struggle with this thing called following Jesus. You know, I love the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, but I love the ending even more. Because it answers a question. Maybe you've been thinking about this question throughout the series. Well, what does a rewritten life look like? How is it different? How is it transformative? I mean, how do I get in that place where God is literally rewriting the chapters of my life? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question because Paul answers it at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to what he says. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters. Okay, so that's everybody in the room, right? So you don't get to duck. Everybody's got to take this one. My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Jesus comes through Paul and he inspired, writes these words. Everybody, we need to stand firm. Not back off, not shrink back in fear. We learned that a couple of weeks ago. We need to step up and step in to the purpose that God has created for us. We're supposed to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Some of us go, I just want to give myself partly because I've got this other agenda. You don't get to have, play that card when you realize that the King of Kings, the Savior Himself, played all of His cards in the name of a sacrifice for each one of us. We pour ourselves out fully and completely, and God says, I want you to know something. Every single time you take a step in following me, it's not in vain. It's not empty. That moment that I spent on the sidewalk in Los Angeles with Roy, I won't get to see the fruit. I have no idea what God did with that moment, but the reality is this. I know that conversation was not in vain. You know why? Because Jesus showed up. Because we got beyond, what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? Jesus says a rewritten life looks different. It acts different. That's why we've been showing you some pictures of befores and afters. Saul and Paul, miles before Jesus, miles after Jesus, Rob before Jesus, Rob after Jesus. I mean, when somebody is changed by Jesus, their life changes. And I summarize that last verse this way. As God is rewriting my final chapters, I have to stand firm. And this is what I'm going to stand firm in. I will stand firm in my new identity in Christ. Where do I get that from? It is written. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know what? I, I noticed this trend as Christians. Stuff that we bring to God that we feel so unbelievably bad about. We ask God to forgive us. He does. And then instead of releasing it and letting it go under his forgiveness, we keep reminding him about it. Hey, God, you remember when I did that? The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, you are a brand new creation. My question is this, why are we spending exorbitant amount of energies dragging stuff back in front of God that he's already forgiven? Do you realize that God chooses not to remember? Which means this, you drag that old stuff in front of him and he's like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. I covered that. Why are you uncovering it again? Wasn't my forgiveness enough 
for you. I will stand firm in my new identity in Christ. I am not my old reputation. I am not my old sin. I'm not wearing my old garments. God has shredded that stuff off of me. Let's keep going. I'll stand firm in my calling in Christ. Because it is written, we are God's handy. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you. Some of you are just like, I'm God's handiwork, and I don't think God is very crafty. Some of us don't like that. We argue against God, but look where I'm at. Even though we may be a product of our own decisions, we look at that and it's like, I don't know about that whole thing. Are we God's handiwork? This one thing I know, God does not make trash. God does not make product with defects. God makes people over a process perfect and whole. So we've been decorating already for Christmas. If that freaks you out, too bad. <laughs> Jesus married me to a Christmas elf. And she has triumphed fully and completely. We've been listening to in-sync Christmas songs for a long time already. If you don't like it, tough, all right? But we're just kind of into it, right? So we start dragging stuff down out of the garage, all the decorations and all that stuff. We've got this one purple bin, and it's amazing what's inside of it. It's got all kinds of things that our kids made us growing up. Some people would look in that stuff and go, like, really? Just paper with glue and glitter all over it, right? Kind of messy. Not just glue and glitter to me. Why? Because it was an offering and a treasure that was brought to me by my children. They came and gave it to me as a gift, and it's precious. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? We all have a collection, don't we? You can take whatever you want to. You can take my big screen, you can take my car, you can take all kinds of stuff. You try to touch that glue and glitter, I'll hurt you. come from my kids. Everything you offer to God, He looks the same way. Why? Because you're His workmanship. You're precious to Him. doesn't matter how insignificant it looks to everybody else. When we come to Jesus and say, here you go, there is nothing more precious to Him than the gift of one of His kids. Let's keep going. I will stand firm in my pursuit of His holiness. It is written, live such good lives among those who don't believe that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He comes back to take us home. Jesus said, be holy because I'm holy. We're supposed to look different, act different, talk different, have a different set of priorities. I mean, the world will give you a very specific message at Christmas. Get all that you can stockpile it. Pull it in. It's all about you. You come to church and we have the audacity to make you think a different way. Little green envelope. An opportunity to be somebody else's miracle. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. I hope you never, ever, ever need the CTK blessing. Because if you do, it means your life got turned upside down in a crisis you did not prepare for. Somebody else's miracle. I got to be there the night when Terry passed away. And Rebecca talked about how so many of you surrounded and loved and gave. That's what that's for. 
Why do we do that? Because that's what Jesus did. He knew we were going to hit a crisis that we couldn't see coming, the crisis of sin. So he preemptively sacrificed everything he could so that we could be set free when we were in crisis. We learned this generosity from someone. If you're wondering who it is, we named our church after him. Let's keep going. I will stand firm in my gratitude for the gracious rewrite that he's perfecting in me every single day. These words are written in the book of Philippians. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Everyone in the room that's following Jesus right now, our stories are being written and rewritten as we sit here. None of us ever arrive. God says He's going to bring it to completion on the day when He comes back. And that's the moment that we continue to look for. We want to be filled with gratitude. You know what? I was just convicted in my heart. I don't say this nearly enough. So I'm going to say it now. I love you guys. Some of you have been here hanging out with me for 16 years. You've watched me cry and spit and, and, and <laughs> sit on a stool till I wore them all out and then they made me stand up. You've watched me move from music stands that I burned out moving up and down and straightening my pages and finally they made it electronic and now I spit on electronics. And, and <laughs> I mean, you, you guys have been with me in the worst of it and the best of it. I'm so thankful for you. Let me tell you why I'm so thankful. Because at this church, the pastor gets to be a person too. Whether we got it, don't got it, misplaced it, you guys have been so gracious. And I am so thankful to be a part of this body. In fact, I would use Paul's words. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now in being confident of this, that God's working out this whole process in all of us. I'm thankful. I don't know if you know this or not, but this coming week, it's not about Black Friday. Like we know that, right? You know, it's not about Black Friday. In fact, I just say this. You guys know how this works for me if you've been here for a while. If you, if you show up on Black Friday and you act like an idiot, I reserve the right to tell your story in this church. Because <laughs> Black Friday's crazy. I mean, you know, six foot four, 300 pound guys with Barbies in both arms, knocking little old ladies out of the way so they can get through the till at Target. Are you kidding me? I see you doing that. I'll tell you, I'm going to blow your cover right here. That's how it's going to roll. <laughs> Just saying, right? You know, if you fall asleep in, in the food court, I will take a picture of you and I'm going to use it. Just saying, okay, all right? It's not about Black Friday. You know who invented Thanksgiving? Jesus followers. Why? Because of all the people on the face of God's planet, we should be the most grateful and thankful. I mean, think about what God has blessed us with. Some of you are like, I haven't been blessed very much. Really? Are you upright in taking nourishment? You're blessed. That breath you just took, that was borrowed from God. He just put breath in your lungs. 
You should be so unbelievably grateful. Forget all the other stuff. Just that alone should make us people filled with gratitude. So I want to give you a challenge this week. I want to challenge you to take your little outline, fold it in a nice little square around the prayer that I'm going to read. If you're OCD or OCD like me, make sure that all the lines in the it's all folded nice and square, right? No corners sticking out. It's all got to be in a box, right? And when you wake up on Thursday morning, before you dive into God's blessing, family, food, football, <laughs> right? And I don't care if you're sitting down for a 16-course gourmet meal or it's a turkey TV dinner. Stop and say thank you. Just stop and say thank you to the God who's still rewriting your story. In fact, I'd like to read this little prayer over us as we close today. It's an expression of my own gratitude to God and the rewrites that He's working in my heart right now. So would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father God, on behalf of all of the people at Christ the King, I pray. Father, I'm thankful. Thankful for your forgiveness and mercy. Thankful for your gracious patience as I'm being rewritten. Thankful the story of Jesus. I'm thankful that Jesus is rewriting my story. I'm thankful that because of you, I am what I am. Thankful that you give me what I don't deserve. Thankful you've given me a new purpose. Thankful that my life is yours and yours alone. I'm thankful that it is written. My grace is sufficient for you. Father, I'm thankful. As we continue to pray, every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and, and you couldn't pray that prayer because you're not sure what to be thankful for. Maybe you associate in a way more in common with Saul of Tarsus than you do Paul from Rome. And on this Thanksgiving week, I'd love to give you an opportunity to give your heart fully and completely to Jesus today. Because maybe today you've actually come to the conclusion you've been writing your own story and you don't like the way the plot is working out. And today is the day you're going to surrender the pen and ask God to be the author of the rest of your days. If that's your heart and what you desire, would you pray this prayer with me right now? Father God, I've been writing my own story and it's broken. And while I don't understand it all right now, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart God raised him from the dead. And because the Bible says that, I believe right now I'm being saved. God, I give you the rest of my life and I ask, would you write the final chapters, however many there may be. God, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your healing. I ask for your hope. I ask that you can take my ashes 
and turn them into something beautiful. God, I give myself fully and completely to you. And I'm so grateful that you have grace for me. As we continue to pray, nobody's looking around. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we believe something amazing just happened inside of you. God just washed away every mistake you've ever made. And now he has the pen in his hand and he's going to write an entirely new future. If you prayed that prayer today, would you just slip your hand up in the air so I can see it? Slip it straight up. God bless you and you. God bless 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 you, God. God, thank you for having room. Thank you for graciously opening the door over and over and over again. I pray for these who've given their hearts to you, and I pray that this week, the thanksgiving would mean so much more. I pray they'd be so thankful for the fact that God still forgives. And God, as we now walk with them, as we step into the future together, we thank you that you are the God of the rewritten chapters. We give you glory and honor and praise, and we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said.